Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hello and welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'm super excited about our very next episode. We are looking at St. Teresa of Avila, uh, one of the doctors of the church, just an amazing woman of God, super inspirational. I know you're going to love her story and everything that we will learn about today. Also, can't wait to interview my friend, Dr. Ali Cawthorn. Dr. Ali Cawthorn, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, hello. It is my absolute pleasure. I'm excited to see. Yes. Yeah. So Dr. Ali Cawthon, she is a woman of many talents. She has a doctorate from, is it Fuller Theological Seminary? Yes. Um, On Ignatian spirituality. Mm -hmm. And uh, she also, um, her and her husband are pastors of a church called Urban Church in Perth, Western Australia, which is an awesome church. It's full of hungry people, full of the, the Holy Spirit going after spiritual gifts and all this sort of stuff. Just an incredible revival church. Um, and she is also on the national executive for the Australian Christian Churches in Australia. So what a wonder woman. Thank you so much for even spending the time with us on the Eagle and Child podcast. You sound like a very busy lady. Oh, of course. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I love <laughs> oh. Teresa. So she is awesome. Oh, I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time. Even from like season one, we talked about um, Teresa of Avila. Um, I am just so excited about her. I mentioned her. I did a speaking in tongues course for Theosu and I mentioned one of the parts of Interior Castle. She actually talks about speaking in tongues as a part of her prayer. Um, So I just love her. I think she is just amazing. So can you give us a little bit of a background into who she is um, how was she formed spiritually? Um, where did she come from? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So she was born in 1515 um, yep. in in Spain. There's There was something in the water. I think I said this yes. last time about Ignatius yeah. of Royola because he was born around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, in Spain, actually in a place called Avila, which is where we get the name mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila. Um, and yeah. it's an area just sort of northwest of Madrid. So in, in that particular space. And she was born Teresa de Ahumada. And if I was Spanish, I'd be able to say that much better. But anyway. um, I think, and, you, yeah, it sounded good to me. So, um, And she's one of 10 children. And wow. uh, her family had these hidden Jewish roots, actually. So mm. um, at the time of the Inquisition, practising any sort of Judaic practice was, you know, potentially deadly mm. actually so wow. it wasn't celebrated at all um, and they were considered impure um, and so her grandfather actually discovered that um, they were under suspicion from the inquisition um, for practicing judaism in their wow. in their home and he was actually quite wealthy so what he did was purchased um, the status of um, nobility um, in that mm. time you could purchase a higher social status which meant that his children had access to the noble class and they could marry well so after this though his grandfather her grandfather actually confessed to practicing Judaism and the punishment for the whole family uh, which obviously included 
Teresa's father, Alfonso, was to be marched through the streets of Toledo for seven Fridays in a row. And they had to wear these costumes of bright yellow that were emblazoned with the family cross and, and snakes. Whoa, and then, whoa. Yeah. And they were made to kneel in every church and every chapel, every shrine in the city and the townspeople threw stones at them and spat at them and, and abused them. Whoa. So Teresa's father, Alfonso, was the youngest of the children. He endured this, but um, he wanted to make sure that he had a life of privilege and, and status for his own family. So he worked hard at that. And they actually then he came to um, a form of a form of faith, but obviously had a bit of baggage over this yeah. way that they had been. Of course. Yeah. Some trauma. Yeah, <laughs> Some <absolutely>. church hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about church hurt. Um, yes. So he, he marries um, Beatrice and, and both of them were quite, you know, sensitive to the law. They, they had a, had a mm-hmm. faith, um, but it wasn't until later in life that Teresa actually rekindles his love for God in a, in a mm-hmm. real way, you know, potentially sort of brings him to, to a, a true faith, if you like. Um, and so she's born into this kind of into this family, high status. They had wealth, um, but this kind of complicated religious past. But Teresa, as a child, was really interested in in God and faith and that sort of thing. But at around 12, 14, um, there's some conjecture as to exactly what age, but let's just say thirteen. Um, yes. Her mother actually dies giving birth, and Whoa. it's devastating for Teresa, and she mm. totally goes off off the rails she's a real you know wild child um and it was really hard on her father who was widowed and then bringing up these 10 children on on his own um but Lisa was she was just this extraordinary young woman um and a leader right from Mm. the get-go so she had this wild kind of um I guess period in her life and she started to influence her siblings and her um, cousins and she was like let's have these adventures and they actually ran away she ran away oh. twice with one of her brothers because they wanted to go to the Americas to take on a new <laughs> land like she was just you know ready to go yeah. um, what happens is her behavior becomes so difficult <laughs> and so problematic that at around 16 now I don't know if anyone listening I'm sure they have had girls from that age <laughs> Kind of thirteen to sixteen is um, is tricky. It's an interesting. It? <laughs> um, and so shout out! Our, shout out to your daughters. Well, they're, they're beautiful. Yeah, but just some waters to navigate at around yeah. those ages. Um, so at sixteen, her father sends her to Our Lady of Grace boarding school, Catholic boarding school in, in Avila, uh, and he thought this is going to straighten her out. It's going to, mm-hmm. you know, remove all the temptations that she has to be this kind of wild, you know, girl. Wild child. Yeah. But while she's there, she actually finds herself really enjoying the the mm-hmm. the lifestyle of, you know, prayer. Yeah, she wow. starts to seek God as to whether or not he might be calling her to a monastic vacation. Wow. And she, yeah. thinks, she thinks I, he is, God is calling me, calling mm-hmm. me to this. Um, But her father was a little bit annoyed because he's like, I just wanted you to sort out your behaviour. I just wanted you to grow up a little bit. I did not think that you would receive this religious call. 
become some Jesus freak. Yeah. Yeah. This wasn't part of his plan. Um, (laughs) So he's like, I want you to come home and I want you to get married and settle down. (laughs) And actually I'd read that um, around that time often women would choose to actually join a monastic order rather than get married because in some ways they thought it would be a bit of an easier life. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So, um, yeah. Anyway, she comes home. He's like, I want you to get married. She's like, no, I know that I'm being called to this. And so at 20, she enters a Carmelite monastery, um, which was called the Monastery of the Incarnation. Um, and at about this same time, she actually starts having some significant issues with her health. She had spells and fevers and mm-hmm. she was often bedridden for long periods of time. She had to take time oh. off, she had to take leave from the monastery to return to mm-hmm. her father's house to recuperate. And it was during one of these times when she went back home to, you know, recuperate that she encounters the teachings on silent prayer because her uncle mm. um, starts to read aloud some writings yeah. on silent prayer. And she feels this draw to a contemplative life, just like mm. this is what I'm being called to, this life of prayer. Mm. And Beautiful. eventually her father agrees and she mm. takes the vows, the vows of monastic life. Mm. But you know, throughout her life, she continues to struggle with her health, and um, you know, it, the records show that she had periods of kind of paralysis. She'd have crippling headaches. She'd have inflamed joints. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people have said it sounds a little bit like a fibromyalgia kind of thing of oh. today, but obviously it wasn't diagnosed. But she just yeah, just unwell, um, mm-hmm. but. She was just this incredibly charismatic person. So mm, despite these physical ailments, her personality mm. continued to shine through and she was a really popular spiritual director, really mm. popular teacher, and people would come to the monastery where she was and just seek her out, seek her counsel, mm. seek her dress. Um, she was also considered a very attractive woman, so she was <laughs> extroverted um and she actually knew how to use her charms really well it was oh is this gonna get scandalous <laughs> well I mean there is some scandal in her early life which I've sort of left but left out. <laughs> it's funny there's a funny story because she was you know brought before the inquisition at, at times and and other times mm-hmm. where she was questioned by you know men in authority over the things that she was writing and the things that she was teaching. Mm-hmm. And it was said that at one point um, she was able to use her charm directly with these men, you know, like bat her eyelids and <laughs> kind of natural wit and this this charm. And um, she would, you know, demonstrate this incredible insight with the things that she would write and then she would say, but you know, I'm just a woman. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> yeah. What would I know? And what so, would I know? Yeah. yeah. And they were like, "Oh, yeah, you're 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 all right." <laughs> let her let her go. It was it was actually incredible that she yeah. was let go on so many occasions. And they say that that comes <laughs> down directly to her charm and her beauty <laughs> and her yeah, the way she held herself. 
Um, But, you know, she was just really drawn to this quiet prayer, this deep Mm -hmm. contemplative way of of being. And that actually then forms the foundation for a classic, the interior castle that she'll write Mm -hmm. sometime later. Her health continues to be a problem. In in one at one point in her life, she actually slips into a coma, and wow. um, she was about to have the last rites read over her. Like she was that Whoa. sick, and then it says all of a sudden she opened her eyes, you know, and they'd even put wax on her eyelids, thinking this was it. She opened Yikes. her eyes. I know. She has this miraculous recovery, and from then on, her devotion mm-hmm. to God just reaches this whole nother level or depth Mm, wow and you know often when you think about Teresa she's known for these mystical encounters that she had she had radical mystical encounters with God she would often you know be in in trances and all sorts of things she had these amazing visions but actually they didn't begin to happen for her until she was around 40 around 40 years Hmm. so two decades prior to that so she enters the monastery at 20 after 40 these encounters start to begin so for two decades she'd just been faithful in developing this lifestyle in the midst of you know extreme health challenges um but you know her inner life was sort of stayed a bit ordinary she's just faithful to that practice faithful to the lord you know, anything that was thrown away, she just continued. But then she starts to have these encounters. It's like this is where yeah, it gets come on. Yeah. And <laughs> we should just we should just mention here as well. It's a very well respected doctor of the church, the universal church, right? So she's like she's not some weirdo fringe person that's like having these trance encounters or whatever. She's very embraced by the historic church as someone who is legit and, you know. So, yes. yeah, she, I, she, I love that. Yeah, she's declared a doctor of the church in 1970 yeah. by the Pope, yes. uh, the first female, actually, doctor of yeah. the church. She wrote significant shapes that the church significantly. Mm. So, so these, these encounters begin. She's wandering the grounds of the monastery and she sees this statue mm. of, of, mm. of Jesus um, during his trial. He's been imprisoned by the Romans and this statue just kind of, her eye and she writes the next thing I know she's just lying down in front of this this statue absolutely sobbing and it's like wow. image of the suffering that that Jesus went through um, allowed her to get to really get in touch with some of her remorse and the pain that she'd been carrying for decades wow. and she speaks about getting up off the floor after that encounter and feeling as if she'd been re- reborn. Wow. Yeah, rebirthing. Yeah. Um, and from then on it just accelerates. She has these, mm. you know, states of ecstasy and rapture. Mm. And, you know, I imagine it's similar to the ones that Paul talks about in Corinthians, you know, it's wow. up another place. Mm. Um, mm. She has visions of the resurrected Christ speaking to her about various things, giving her insight into things. One of the phrases she hears is, um, now I, I now I want you to speak not to men but with angels. So mm. it's like she's had this call to live into and from this other mm. whole other realm. 
Um, And so she, you know, like prayer is just the foundation of her life and these these raptures start to increase. And sometimes they're quite public and um, (laughs) she would be in this trance-like state for hours and people had to check to see that she was still breathing. They're like, still alive. And yeah. Yeah, I know. And she finds this really quite embarrassing. She's like, oh, Aww. you know, do you really have to do this to me in public? <laughs> and there's this really funny story. She's singing in the choir yeah. and, you know, the other sisters all start to look at her because it said she started to levitate off the ground. And when okay. she looked down, she said, put me down to the Lord. And <laughs> we lowered back down. So quite <laughs> encounters that have documented that that she yeah. had um another one she has this um encounter with with Jesus as a child and um and he asked her who she was and she said I am Teresa of Jesus who oh. are you and he replied I am Jesus of Teresa oh, um, which, wow. oh that's so, so beautiful oh that's um, beautiful and, of course, her kind of most famous encounter um, was um, captured by the Italian sculptor Benini. It's called St. Teresa in Ecstasy. And it's a, a, a sculpture of her um, kind of in this state and an angel has plunged a, a sword mm. into her heart, which just wow. sets her on fire, sets her on fire. Wow, beautiful. Yes. Yeah, actually, that, that I had that experience several times in my life and, she says the soul's just not satisfied with anything less than God. Mm. So um, this amazing woman, you know, really charismatic, has these um, encounters with the Lord in 1962. Sorry, not 1562, not 19. <laughs> yeah. 1562. She actually starts to feel like the order that she's a part of needs a reformation. Yeah, and wow. so she sets out to reform the order that she's a part of, to bring back simplicity and silence and poverty and contemplative Mm. prayer. Um, And then 1567, she meets um, John of the Cross, Mm -hmm. um, who wrote Dark Night of the Soul. Mm -hmm. Um, He was also a monk who was really disillusioned by what he was seeing, um, Mm -hmm. by the lack of of piety, the lack of following the Lord Mm -hmm. that he saw. And when he meets Teresa, he's on his way to live a life as a hermit in the mountains. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm totally done. I'm out of here. Yep. And so she convinces him, well, why don't you join me and we'll reform. We'll reform this, this order. Right. And so they do that together. They become mm-hmm. these you know, beautiful soul companions. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, people say that she was his spiritual director, but she actually says that, you know, he would ask her questions that would stir her soul. So mm. I guess they were kind of more like soul companions stirring Beautiful. one another. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thing. And so all throughout Spain they start to reform mm. the order and they, um, you know, establish these monasteries called the Carmelites of the Primitive Rule or the Barefoot Carmelites and <laughs> they got name because they would wear these hemp sandals year round (laughs) even through winter Um, and those sandals were this commitment that they had to simple values and just this Mm. absolute devotion to the Lord 
So oh, I love amazing, that. yeah, amazing life. She mm. found, uh, founded 17 Carmelite houses all throughout Spain. Wow. wow. Um, yeah. And then in 1582, when she was 67, she, she finally succumbs to her ill health and um, it happened. She's on her way to start a, another convent in the north of the country and as she's on her way, a, a duchess um, summons her because she said, I'd like you to be at the birth of my first grandchild. The weather is absolutely terrible. The conditions of the trip were really bad. And so Teresa gets there and says, not feeling well, I'm going to go to bed. And she never gets up again. Um, wow. Said that as she, you know, took her last breath, she utters the words, beloved, it, it's time to move on. And she says, well, then, may your will be done, my Lord and my spouse. The hour that I've longed for has come. It's time for us to meet one another. And oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. I so love that. Yeah. And like I said, 1970, she becomes a doctor of the church and she's just remained this icon for, you know, charismatic, independent, reformative women. Wow. <laughs> in, yeah. In his- yeah. And a hero, like in her time period as well, it's very, Amazing. it's just crazy. Hey, incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving us yeah. that overview. What an incredible overview. What an incredible life. Uh, you yeah. did mention like one of her works, The Interior Castle. What are some works that she's well known for and what are they about? And yeah. Yeah. If you, if you can yeah. give so us maybe some. Yeah. So The Interior Castle, um, I'll come to in a minute because that's by far her best known and incredible incredible book on the the formation of our soul and that that mm. you know diving into the depths of god she also yeah. wrote an auto, autobiography which she had to write twice because the first one <laughs> fell into the hands of the inquisition and she never got it back so oh, she how annoying to... i know i know anyone oh, who's was... ever written anything it would be like you can just imagine having to start all over again <laughs> I know. Um, and it's kind of there's three parts to that. So the first part is, you know, her life, her family life, um, the grace she's received from God, the voca- her vocational call. Um, then the second section is about prayer and she unpacks prayer. She, in this particular book, she likens the soul to a, a garden and the different ways that you can water the garden in terms of, you know, different forms of prayer the third part is a description of some of the experiences she's had. The fourth part speaks of mystical marriage. And that is an image that she carries into um, Interior Castle as well. And, she, you know, she talks about the Lord being her spouse. And so, you know, that idea of, of that mystical marriage is really a big part of, of her life. She also wrote a book called The Way of Perfection, where mm-hmm. she um, offers some really practical advice on a life of prayer um and that was particularly for the other nuns the Carmelite nuns so she wanted to teach Mm -hmm. them she writes a commentary on the Lord's Prayer uh the Book of Foundations um also really I guess that's a little bit like the the constitutions that Ignatius wrote as he set up in order but um just discusses um how you know the, the founding of these monasteries she wrote about meditation on the Song of Songs Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have the Interior Castle, which um, is her most well-known, well-known book. Um, yes. And in this book, she describes the human soul mm-hmm. as this extremely beautiful castle of clear. I love crystal. this picture. 
I know. I think it's genius. It's obviously oh, birth of the Holy Spirit. And it comes out of an encounter that um, she has with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so she says it's got these many rooms and, um, you know, these all these mansions, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them. And God himself dwells at the centre of this mm-hmm. castle and just continually invites the person to come and mm-hmm. go deeper into those places of truth and love. Um again, like another funny story for Teresa, when she was asked, she was asked to write this book by, you know, um, a, one of her superiors and she was not at all happy about that. She was like, oh, my goodness. Um, and so she starts by sitting down and saying, well, beloved, speaking to the Lord, I've got no idea what to say here. And so <laughs> yeah. to do this thing, you're going to have to speak. And so... From then on, it takes her two months to write the whole interior castle and those who were, you know, watching her said it was like she was in this encounter and she was just writing what the Lord was was showing her. So um, this quote that she has at the beginning, which is one of my favourite quotes of of Teresa, and she says, "Um, a thought occurred to me, a foundation on which to build. I began to think of the soul as if it were a castle made of a single diamond or very clear crystal in which there's many rooms just as heaven there's many mansions. Now, if we think carefully over this, the soul of the righteous man is nothing but a paradise in which, as God tells us, he takes his delight. What do you think a room will be like, which is the delight of a king, so mighty, so wise, so pure, so full of all that is good? I can find mm. nothing with which to compare the great beauty of a soul and its great wow. capacity. I so know. Beautiful. That's I awesome. Know. You can oh. just, it's like if God wants to dwell there, it must be this most beautiful place and that's what that's within us. We explore mm. that. Um, so beautiful. Yeah, and so the castle, she just, you know, she talks you through the, the seven dwellings um, and each one of those dwellings has got various um, challenges and beauty. And then the closer and closer you get to the centre where the Lord dwells, she starts to shift and change and uses different metaphors and images. And it's just, it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, yeah you've mentioned a few of her different works and especially obviously yeah. the interior castle, which yeah. is really great. Um, how would you say that she has influenced church history or how does she speak to us today in our sort of 21st century contemporary Christian context? Um, mm. How can we sort of apply her teachings, her uh, her revelation of God and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely her enduring legacy is the teaching she's offered the church on prayer yeah. and on that that contemplative prayer of mm-hmm. and, and she actually lays out kind of the stages of prayer prayer mm-hmm. of quiet prayer of recollection the prayer of mm-hmm. union so mm-hmm. she teaches about as you kind of go deeper into this space this is the this is the way to do it and this is what will happen mm-hmm. here and this is how you overcome that until you get to this place this prayer of union which you know, that contemplative place and and what Teresa and a lot of other spiritual writers will say is, you know, that, that contemplative experience really is a gift from the Lord. It's not something that we, we, 
that we can obtain, we just position mm. ourselves counter. Mm. And today, for us today, the thing about Teresa is she she cultivated and you know had this life of prayer in the midst of a super busy life. I mean, she was a reformer, a leader of a of a you know a ref a, a, a reformative movement of a whole order. She established. In new monasteries, you know, she answered the call of the Duchess to do this and go there, and and yet her life of intimacy with the Lord doesn't skip a beat. And I love that. Yeah, I, I think for us today, um, and and don't let's not forget that it wasn't like she could just jump in a car or a train yeah. or this is the fifteen hundred. So she was yeah. spending hours giving herself to her vocation. Um, and so, you know, I think today there is that challenge for us that, mm. yes, we're busy, yes, there's lots of distraction, leading things, mm. whatever the case may be. But when, like Teresa, you've tasted that right. that deep space of intimacy with the Lord, you mm. will do anything to continue to cultivate it. I love and, that. Um, yeah, and make your way into that you know, um, interior, interior mm. space. Yeah. Wow, that's so powerful. I love that. You've mentioned um, a few quotes already. Are there any other quotes that you wanted to share um, that have particularly spoken to you? Um, not really. I mean, that one about the soul to me is kind yeah, of the pinnacle for, for Teresa. <laughs> yes. And then the little, the little, um, moments of encounter that she'd had with the Lord and yeah they'd be the, I love that yeah and really just go and read the interior castle hey like you just need to read her I feel like if it feels like you're sitting with her and she's just telling you a story over a cup of cup of tea you know this yeah, woman who's so with God yeah so, yeah so definitely yeah so yes Awesome. Well, um, we usually finish with like maybe a bit of a fun fact, fun story. Is there anything that you want to share that you've learned about her that's maybe stood out to you or something that, you know, our audience wouldn't know about? Uh, well, I mean, I, I just love that story of her before <laughs> the Inquisition or through any other time. She, <laughs> yeah. she has these amazing kind of... Do what you got to do. <laughs> Yeah, revelatory. I mean, she would have been way cleverer than a lot of the people. <laughs> um, but knew that she was pretty, knew that she was attractive. And so she used she used everything that the Lord gave her. She used her mind and her heart and she used her looks. Um, yeah, I just love that about her. Yeah. yeah. She seems like she doesn't take herself. She takes the Lord very seriously, but she seems yeah. like, she doesn't take herself, she holds herself lightly in her, I don't yeah. know, herself. I don't know. That's what yeah. it seems to me. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, awesome. Is If someone wants to get into St. Teresa of Avila, if they want to, yeah. you know, get to yeah. know more about her, if they want to learn from her life of prayer, um, yeah. is there anywhere that you would particularly direct them to begin or just dive into yeah. whatever? So, I mean, her books are all, you know, really um, readily available. So her autobiography, um, the the one on, on prayer, which is called, I did tell you that, um, 
the way of perfection um mm. but the interior castle and there's a few there's a few translations of it out there but my favorite translation would be the one by Mirabai Star um okay cool I mean she she has just translated it so beautifully so mm. that's a, a beautiful place to start um awesome Mm-hmm. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. And also, Pastor Ali, if people want to connect with you, I know you've got a um, a course or something about, mm-hmm. you know, contemplative spirituality. Do you want to tell us maybe a little bit about that and how people mm-hmm. can connect with you as well before we go? Yeah. So we run what's called the Immersion um, Academy, which is an eight-month um, sort of deep discipleship dive. It, it really came out of my studies at, at Fuller, so it starts off sort of, you know, looking at our self-awareness and how do we identify what God is doing in us and then it introduces sort of contemplative um, mm-hmm. spirituality and then we finish off, I touch on Teresa, but spend a lot of time talking about Ignatius of Loyola, who's my other passion and Ignatian spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so you know, cool. people can get in contact with me through that. There's a website, theimmersionacademy.com or through urbanchurch.com.au you can contact me through either of those um, and have a look on those websites as well and tell you a little bit more about us and the church and, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for giving us such a beautiful introduction to such a beautiful woman who had such an incredible and deep relationship with God. I'm always, every time I talk about her, so um, it feels like the Holy Spirit's just beckoning me to come deeper into that life of yeah. prayer and intimacy mm-hmm. with him. And um, mm-hmm. I just love reading people like that. I love talking about people like that. I think it's just, yeah. it just stokes the fire in your heart, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you for giving us such a great overview. And thank you to everyone who's joined us today on the Eagle and Child podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. We'll catch you next time on the Eagle and Child podcast. See you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.